0: My name is Jesse. If you are, are new or I haven't had the chance to meet you, I am the worship director here at the Vineyard. My family has been coming here just about since the church started. So I, and my son was one. So I always know how old the church is because I just take however old he is minus one. And that's where we're at. But we, we love the vineyard, and, and we're so excited to, to have been here and see it grow and see where God's taking us. Now, for those of you who, who maybe haven't been here for the last couple weeks, we are in the middle of our series called New Year, New Heart. So there have been some incredible sermons so far. In case you didn't know, you can always go back and listen to those at vineyardrichmond.com and see what Pastor Joe's been talking about and and what he has on his heart for our church for the new year. But I am really, really blessed. He's out in Louisville at, at the church that's out there, the Vineyard, and we're looking at getting involved in a plant. And we've got some really exciting things on the horizon. So he asked me to come and just share some things that God has been putting on my heart for me to learn and I get to share with you that I think God wants all of us to grow and so I'm really really thrilled to get get to be here I think it's going to be great so let's talk about this new heart we have an anchor verse in Ezekiel 11 so if you want to grab your Bible if you brought your Bible with you or you have your smartphone if you have the Bible app or of course we always always have the verses on the screen But if you're note takers, now's your chance to get started. We are going to start by reading Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. So let's jump right in. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will keep my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So... I was thinking about this new heart, and I think that if we want to say, Lord, we want to have a new heart, we have to address the problem, which is the old heart. So in thinking about a heart of stone, I I just think about something who that's something that's dead, someone that is is just kind of done. They're not interested in hearing what God has to say. They're over it. In Ezekiel, this whole passage comes from a prophet that God has brought to speak to Israel. They have turned away from God. They have decided that he is not someone they're interested in following. They want to do things their own way. And now they are in captivity. And so God is speaking through Ezekiel saying, you're in captivity right now because you... Decided to live this way, and these are the consequences of your actions, but when you come back, I'm going to give you a new heart, because that's what Jesus came to do, right? In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So he didn't come to just give us a changed heart, but to just completely start over when we give our lives to him. He wants to take the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. So I don't know about you, but when I think about a heart of flesh, I am totally grossed out because I've watched way too many of those hospital shows. There's one that was really popular when I first started college, you may have heard of it. Um, It's called Grey's Anatomy. It's been going on for about 50 years. They may be wrapping up. I don't know they've killed off most of the original cast I think or they've moved away or I don't even know what's going on but though in Grace Anatomy you have all these like love lost doctors and they're falling in love and don't know who to who to be with and then making out in closets and and then every once in a while they make it into an actual operating room and then you see like really gross dramatic um, operations. you have like this beating heart that they've got. To do the most complex thing and save them for the end of the day. You know, and then you have dramatic music and rain, and I don't even know. But. But that's the picture I have. It's just this this beating heart. Because a heart of flesh is a heart that is alive. It's a heart that's growing. It's a heart that's changing. It's a heart that, that when we have a heart of flesh toward God, we're hearing His voice. We're willing to change what we're doing and obey. The heart is not the same the next day as it was the day before. And that's how I wanna be in my relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be the same person that I was when I first gave my life to Christ, because I was six years old. Nobody wants to be six years old forever, unless mandatory naps hang around. Like I would be… I'm up for that part. Put me in first grade for the mandatory nap. but. But I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the same Christian that I was in high school. I don't want to be the same Christian that I was in college. I don't want to be the same Christian that I was two years ago, two months ago, two weeks ago, or two hours ago. Because I want to have a heart that's hearing God and it's changing as a result of what he's saying. Okay. But as we, as we look at that, we want to have a new heart. And Pastor Joe told us that our word for the year as a church is stand up. We're going to stand up for the cause of Christ, which is just a fancy way of saying whatever Jesus wants. That's what we're standing up for. We're standing up for loving God and loving people, whatever that looks like. But I want to say to you today that I don't think that we can stand up without first kneeling. Can we get behind that? You cannot stand up unless you kneel first. To stand is to be different than sitting. Standing requires courage, perseverance, and strength. To stand up against all odds, against whatever is going on, to kneel is the opposite. It requires humility, it requires submission, and it requires reverence. But we know that in the kingdom of God, we, it's an upside down kingdom. God, Jesus was always saying things that don't make sense. The first will be last. "'The meek will inherit the earth. "'When you are weak in me, I am strong in you.'" That is how the kingdom of God works. But before we start standing up for the kingdom of God, we have to know what we're standing up for, right? As our very astute founding father, Alexander Hamilton, told us, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything, right? And I offered to rap, if any of you are familiar with Hamilton, and I missed my shot. Thank you to the two people who got that one. That's oh, a song. Okay. But, but they told me that that would be embarrassing, and please don't do that. Okay, but I do know something about being embarrassed. is it we can't stand for the wrong things. Alexander Hamilton's point was, if you stand for nothing, then you, if you just sit down, then you're just going to fall for whatever happens. I'm saying if you stand up and you have no anchor and you don't know what you're standing up for, you will also fall for nothing. I know something about standing up at the wrong time. When my amazing husband TJ and I first got married, We decided that we were going to leave in Cleve. We were going to move away from home and like start our own new life, right? So we went all the way to Lexington. (laughs) It was a really big leap, you guys. We were growing so much. Okay, but one of the first things we had to do was find a new church. And some of you may know church hunting is very hard. It's not easy finding a a church, and we do all have to admit to ourselves there's no perfect church, right? Even a church that seems perfect may not seem perfect after you, like, start serving with people in hospitality and they don't make coffee, right, or they don't do, you know, whatever. Every church has its quirks. But we decided to go, we're church hunting, and we tried a variety of different I grew up in a really traditional church where you sing with hymns and there's no band and, and you it's very um, it's a little more dressed up and formal And I like that I think that that's great And then we also you know went to churches like this that were a little more casual a little more come as you are. let's just like rock out for Jesus and, and pour our hearts out and we tried those. But this particular Sunday, that I want to tell you about. We went to a church that was one of the more traditional ones. We had some friends there. They were really great, showed us around. It was very, very big in Lexington, very full, very big. Lights all up, tons of windows. It was beautiful, beautiful room. And so we went and it was lovely and there was a, a good sermon and we got to sing out of the hymnal and I felt like I was at home, you know, it was really nice. And then we get to the end and my husband and I are whispering about where we're gonna go eat lunch. And the song leader gets back up and is like, okay, we're going to stand on the last verse, you know, just to like really give our all to Jesus or something like that. Okay. So I'm like, oh, I got this. I grew up in this. I know all about like men sing this one, women sing. You know, when you have a hymn, sometimes you got to spice it up a little bit. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Okay. So that's what we're doing. I'm, I'm totally comfortable. So we, we sing the first two verses. Everything's going really smoothly. I'm like, TJ, are you ready? We're going to stand now. And he's like, oh, no, I'm here to do I guess I'll, I'll do it. So God bless him. So I'm like, okay. And we stand up. And no one else stands up. I'm talking 600 people with all the lights on. And we stood up and we're singing our hearts out. And we sat down. We sat down so fast, you would have thought somebody slapped me across the face. I I was so red. I don't remember the last time I've been so embarrassed because this was one of those sneaky hymns, you may be familiar, where they put an extra verse at the bottom of the page. I didn't know there was a fourth verse because you should have put it with the sheet music. Why are you putting that? Like you can't fit the lyrics in with all the sheet music. We just had to like plug a couple extras into the bottom. I wanted to die. And the worst part was now you have put a huge bullseye on the back of your shirt that says new people they don't know what they're doing. So now everybody around us in our section, you know how sometimes people are trying to make you feel better and it's so, so, so much worse. That's exactly what was happening. I want to die. My husband, he's cool. He's so good at like not caring what, about other people. And I just am so embarrassed. And all of these people around us are like, And I'm like, you stop looking at me? Will you just stop looking at me? I mean, even people like in front of us, three rows in front of us are like, it's okay, it's okay. I'm like, I didn't want you to stop talking to me. So then I'm like, okay, as soon as this verse is over, we're gone. But the problem is we're like in the middle of the pew and we're surrounded, right? And not by Jesus. So we stood up, we stood up and it was like, like flies to honey. I mean, we were just, it was like, hope there's those new people, let's go welcome them. And uh, I mean, we met so many really, really friendly people who were like, we saw you stand up. And I'm like, I know, it's so crazy how that happened. But as the worship director here, I just wanna say, you're welcome. You can stand up, you can sit down, you do you. You know, not like Pastor Joe said, don't do you. But like here, like when it comes to Jesus, like you just worship and we're gonna try not to do that. Standing up for the wrong thing is dangerous, is my point. Embarrassing is like the least of our problems. But when we're standing up for something, if we're going to stand up for God, we have to know God's voice. And there's no um, substitute for spending time with God to know His voice. If I go with you to Casa today after lunch, a few of you might know what I'm going to order. But for the most part, the rest of you are just guessing right? You don't know that when I sit down at Casa, I'm always going to get the steak fajita nachos or the pollo bandito, and depending on how the day is going, we're going to get some queso or not. But you would know that if you have lunch with me a lot, and if you're spending time with me a lot. And that's what God is wanting from us. People throughout history have stood up thinking they were standing up for God or saying that they were standing up for God, but clearly did not know the heart of God. And we want to be a people who know the heart of God. So today I want to look at a guy who was really good at knowing the heart of God and standing up for him. Now, single ladies, this is a great time to take notes because this guy had everything that you're looking for. He was extremely devout and and committed to the Lord. Okay, he was very good looking. He was very smart. He was very good at learning new cultures and concepts and blending in. He was very diplomatic and good with people, able to diffuse situations, and he may or may not have been nobility, right? It sounds practically like Prince Harry if he was, you know, if he loved Jesus, which I don't know if he does. But we're going to look at this guy, Daniel. Daniel. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to go to Daniel. Most of you know him from the story of the lion's den, but Daniel actually started standing up for God at the very beginning. Okay, Israel was taken over by Babylon. And all the best and the brightest and the smartest, as was the custom, are taken from their country of origin and moved into Babylon, because Babylon wants the best to learn from and grow from, and then they send all their criminals and all the people they don't want to be influenced by back to whatever countries they've taken over. So, Daniel is awesome, and he comes in with his three buddies, and they're offered a three-year kind of college opportunity in this kingdom, and they get to eat from the king's table. I mean, we're talking like the best food and the best drink and the best bread. But Daniel has to turn it down and says, No, I want to eat vegetables and water because that was his New Year's resolution. (laughs) Not really. Daniel knew that this food had already been offered to idols. And even though we know from Jesus in the, Old, or in the New Testament that everything that has been made by God is good and that we have freedom to do that, he had to say no because this food was sacred to those people because they had offered it to idols. So Daniel uses his diplomacy and asks for the chance to just eat water and vegetables, Er we ha- ergo we have the Daniel fast, and says in 10 days, let's see who looks better. Us who are on this clean eating diet, or your guys over here who are carb loading all the time. I mean, who do you think is going to look better at the end of 10 days? I'm saying. We just we just have to go with it. But he, he stood up for God, and God came through for him from the very beginning. So we learn that from him. But Something I want to grab from that story is that even though we have the freedom to do things, sometimes God asks us to say no, not because of what it means to us, but because of what it means to someone else. We know that we have a lot of freedoms in Christ, but just because it's free for us doesn't mean it's free for others, right? Daniel's so good at hearing the voice of God and knowing when to stand up. Now he gets promoted to positions of power, he he goes really great and then it goes really bad. So let's jump to Daniel 6, 1 through 10 and, um, and I wanna ask you a couple of questions to go away with. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, that's kind of like governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole country, the whole kingdom. He's going to be the president. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, the men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God." So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, why, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed to God, giving thanks just as he had done before. So I want to stop right there. First, things are going really good. Then things are going really bad for Daniel. He has a new king. The king puts him in charge with all these other guys. He's really smart. God's given him favor. He works his way up the ladder. But of course, as happens sometimes when you're in a competitive workplace, that that makes you a target for people who wish that they had your position. All right, so I love that when they're plotting this great Daniel takedown and they come to take him away, verse 10 says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and prayed. So if you're taking notes, here's my first question. What is my first response? When life crashes, when you get a terrible text or a terrible phone call, or you lose your job or a breakup or something happens, what is our first response? Again, when TJ and I were first married, I I discovered that if I called him with a problem when something went wrong, he would um, say the wrong thing. He would try to fix it. And that was usually not what I called him for. I called him because I wanted like a listening ear or I just wanted to complain and he would want to like speak truth into my life or, you know, that that wasn't what I really wanted. So I started um, calling my sister instead which maybe I shouldn't have done, but she knew me better, right? So if I call my sister or my mom, like they know, like they can tell from the sound of my voice, if I need to be eased into hearing some truth, maybe I just want to, to vent for a second. Maybe they can offer a solution, but they always knew like which option was right? And it didn't take too long for my husband to realize that by the time he heard about a problem, I had already taken it through like three people and gotten their feedback and I felt better. And appropriately so, he challenged me on that and was like, no, wait a minute. We moved all the way to Lexington so that we could go be our own people. Okay, we separated from our families. We're supposed to be each other's first call. And he was right. So slowly but surely, I started going to him first and it was not always like perfect, right? It took time. He would give me his idea of the right response and then I would tell him what the right response was. And that's how our marriage grew and how he learned, this is what I need to hear. But also I learned that I don't always get to choose what I need to hear. Right? I need to have my first response be the correct response and have, trust God to give me his truth. Daniel does not throw a fit when he gets the news about this very unfair edict, and he could have. This, this law, an actual law, can you imagine if a law for a whole country, a whole kingdom, was aimed at you personally? I mean, the first thing I would do would be to call my boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go somewhere and and get some coffee or get some chips and queso and be like, everybody at work sucks. You guys don't even know. They're working against me. They're terrible and life is unfair and have them tell me how they're so sorry for me because it's so terrible. Or you could go to your boss. Daniel could have gone to the king, who he's clearly friends with because the king wants to put him in charge of everything, right? He could have gone to this guy and said, listen, I know you can't take this law back, but maybe we could like introduce a new law, like the lions have their mouths tied up that day. That would be a good law, right? He doesn't even do that. Daniel's first response is to go straight to God. Prayer has to be our first response, not our last response resort. Our first response, not our last resort. And we don't do this on purpose, right? We don't mean to to go to other people as our first response, but it's easy because we can see them and we can hear them physically, even though we know in our hearts that we're supposed to go to God. But when crisis comes, it's the habits that we've created that are what we just automatically go to, right? You just go to the path of least resistance. Whatever your pattern or system or habit your brain has created, that's what you fall into. So my second question is, what are my habits? You know, it's a new year, it's 2020, we're all about like new habits, like going to the gym and eating healthier, and, and we talked about it in our small group this week. Every single one of us, we want to grow closer to God this year, and that requires habits. Our habits can't just be something we talk about and then don't do anything about. If I say that I'm going to eat healthier this year and I want to be stronger this year, then when my friend Jason comes to a worship party at my house this week and brings my favorite purple bag of like the Boom Chicka Pop kettle corn, I can't eat the whole bag in one day. What I should have said when Jason came in with that bag of popcorn that he knew was my favorite was get behind me, Satan. I rebuke you and you get that out of my house. You should have brought celery and carrots because that's what I'm trying to eat right now. But it is, it's those habits that we create that are what we go back to just as he had done before. Daniel 6, 10 through 11, again, says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. If we're going to be a people who stand up for our faith, who stand up for other people and for ourselves, the habits that we create now will determine our ability to persevere when crisis comes. And it's so easy for us as we get busier and busier throughout the year as things happen to say we don't have time. I wish I had time. I'm Gosh, we just we, I just got married. I just got into a relationship. I just started taking more hours of classes at school. And I wish I had time to, to spend time with God. But I, but I just don't. Daniel is running a kingdom. The more power, the more responsibility, the more things that are requiring of us in our lives, the more we need to go to God, not less. Right? Jesus shows us this over and over and over again. He was constantly running away to go be with God instead of staying with people who were asking of more and more of him. It says he would would go away. He would go to a solitary place. He would go to a lonely place. Because Jesus knew that you get your strength and you get your sustenance from God, not from people. If we run to people as our first response, we will be drained and depleted. If we run to God as our first response, we will be strengthened and sustained. Now, as we go to number three, I just have one more question for you. Daniel had developed a habit. These men, as they came to look for him, it was not like a surprise to find him there, right? It doesn't say that a mob gathered and they lit their, pit, their, their whatevers and had grabbed their pitchforks and they looked high and low and they set a watchman at his house in case he came back there. And then we're like, hey, dude, you call us when he comes and then we'll come and we'll all get Daniel and we'll take him to the king. No, it says they came as a group and they found Daniel praying because they knew where he could be found. So number three is what are you known for? What are we known for? Between verses 10 and 11, the king tries everything he can to get Daniel out of this predicament. And so in Daniel 6, 16, it says, The king finally gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And you know what happens next. Daniel stays all night. They don't touch him because an angel comes to close the mouth of the lion. And the next morning, in verse 20, when the king came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Do people know you as someone who serves their God continually? That's what we want to be known for. Daniel is known for being a man of integrity and excellence, but mostly for serving his God continually. Does everybody know that that the only way to take us out is to pit us against our God? That's how we stand up. When we know the heart of God, when we are spending that time with God, we have the strength to serve continually, to be strong in God. So how do we pray? We look at this and we see, and and I, I, when I first felt like God told me that I needed to preach on prayer, my in, instinctual reaction was like, I don't know what to say. I mean, the only thing I could think of was like, if you're not gonna pray, why bother? Because that's kind of like, a relationship with God is the whole point. So it, why bother trying if we're not even going to pray? But I don't have a special magic pill. I wish I had a magic pill so we could all could take and audibly hear the voice of God. I would make so much money because I won't give it to you for free. But that's what we want. We all want to grow But I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to do it the right way or to have like, and if we don't have like an hour long prayer session and then worship session in our kitchen with a cup of coffee and like an Instagram worthy photo that we didn't do it right. That's not true. It's these little habits that we develop every day. And Jesus taught us how to pray. And it was so, so simple. And I want to encourage us in this Matthew 6. Jesus talks about prayer. He gives us the Lord's prayer. So we know that in prayer, we come to worship God. We know that we can be honest, that we want to repent of our sinfulness. We know that Jesus tells us to be persistent like the widow, to never give up praying because we can't see the bigger picture. And God wants to be with us. We have to keep coming to Him. It says to give your requests freely, to to be thankful over and over again. And to leave always with trusting God. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There have been times where I would, I would go to spend time with God in prayer, and I would like write in my journal all of these prayer requests, and then I would leave and feel just as bad as when I showed up. And I know that's not how it's supposed to work. And I felt God showing me, it says, with thanksgiving. Because when we give thanks, in addition to giving God our petitions and our prayers and our broken hearts, He reminds us that he is faithful. He reminds us that we're not dead, so he's not done. If we are not dead, God is not done with us. He has proven himself over and over. Daniel knew where to go because this was not the first time that he had been in a situation where his life was on the line because he was obeying God. And I don't know what what all of us came in here with. Sometimes we come in here and everything's okay, but we're just really busy and we want to feel closer to God, but we're feeling really stale or really dry and we don't understand and we feel like we're doing something wrong. Or you're coming in here and you're dealing with major crises in your life. And I just wanted to say to you today that if God is not brought you home and you're not dead, then he is not done with you. And there is hope for you because you are in this room. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And I don't know what is going on or what the dark of the night might look like for you, but he has a plan for you. There's an obedience that he is calling you to. There's a love that he is calling you to. The presence of God is a place where you can feel safe and at peace because he has done everything he can to offer you salvation. So as we come to our feet, I'm going to point out just like we point out every single week, there are people up here who want to pray for you. I know that God wants our church to hold on to prayer because Pastor Janus is across the hall right now teaching the elementary students about prayer. So God is saying something to us as a whole united church. People come here to pray before the service starts and they are here right now because nobody knows what you need prayer about and nobody is judging what you need prayer for. We come forward because we need prayer for a lot of things. There might be physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, or mental healing that we walk in here. And we just, we want to pray together because we're family. Because you need to remember that we're not in this alone. We're here to hold each other up. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us? whenever we pray to him. So we're going to sing this song. We're going to lift up our hearts to God. And you come forward. Just move right now to get your prayer and healing this morning.